0: We're looking at why things go wrong and how to put them right. And this is part ten. What to do when you're filled with with worry. When you think of the problems that we face, problems of our own making, it's easy to think of external things that can go wrong, bad situations that can arise. And sometimes things that take place deeply inside our own skin but can be terribly destructive to our walk with Christ, they can be viewed as just um, purely psychological. In other words, not carrying spiritual weight or spiritual significance or somehow in any way practically tied to our Christian walk. I'm not talking now about medical conditions like clinical depression and those kind of things. I'm talking about about worry. And it's easy to think that these inward battles are somehow either beyond God's reach, just sort of something you have to live with, or not particularly the kind of stuff that he's interested in. But the Bible does address the subject. Uh, God has given us Help and specific teaching. But help will only come when the subject is addressed on, on God's terms, like anything in the Christian life. We must, first of all, allow him to define worry. And then after our minds have been enlightened by the truth, we must allow the word of God to shape our reaction to worry and the responses to worry that we choose to make in life. So, what I'm trying to say here is first of all, the Bible forbids worry. I'm going to cover that. But that's just the start. I mean, the first step, while important, it can be rather fruitless if just taken all by itself. It amounts to a little more than a slap on the wrist, and it'll produce not much more than condemnation just knowing the Bible says you shouldn't worry. But that's not all the Bible does, it forbids worry. And then it's pretty careful, especially in the teaching of Jesus that we'll look at, to define what worry really is. What is it that makes worry sinful? And then finally, the Bible offers advice on how worry can be displaced. It can't just be turned off like you turn off a faucet. But how it can be displaced... In our lives. And I'm going to cough and I'm going to turn this mic off so I don't send you through the roof, all right? Wallow with the mic on, it can be really interesting. <laughs> so, first, the Bible forbids worry, recognizing it as a sinful expression of unbelief. That's the first step to dealing scripturally with worry, and, and we talked about it even uh, last week. The, the first step in approaching any problem is to come at it with a scripturally informed uh, mindset. And the very first step to solving any problem scripturally, especially one that's as slippery to define as worry, it's to make certain that we're making a Christian approach to the problem. Nothing else will work properly without that. Now there's an issue we all have right at this point. Worry doesn't feel like a sin. Worry, worry seems like something for which we ought to be pitied rather than something for which we ought to be corrected. I mean, worry seems like it should just draw out a hug from God. But certainly not some kind of corrective stance that says this is is unbelief, this is a form of unbelief. We instinctively feel that worry is pain enough without adding guilt to the mix. God should feel sorry for us, not blame us. And so it's easy for us to self-define worry in some other way than as a sin. It just seems unfair. It just seems unfair. And as you walk with Christ over the years, you, you slowly it takes all of us a long time, it it dawns on us that we will always get into trouble when we try to be more compassionate than God, forgetting that he always knows what's best for his children. And we need to pause and stop and come to this realization that when Father God defines my worry as sinful. It is not condemning. It is the most hopeful thing I can ever hear. If worry is a sin, there is provision for sin. I can rest in the fact that God has already made abundant provision for both the cleansing and the overcoming of sin in all of its forms. That's what we believe, is it not? This is what the atonement does. It cleanses us. ...from all sin. Suddenly, my worry is the very thing... ...Jesus died and rose from the dead... ...to to bring deliverance and wholeness and freedom. And so the rich biblical theology of redemption means... ...there is an answer to all sin... And if worry is a sin, then there's an answer to worry in the cross. Everybody follow me that far? There's an answer to worry in the cross. So, that's the first step. The first step is to define worry the way the Bible defines it. To allow God's truth to stand. We looked at this this morning, studying the book of James. To allow God's truth to stand. In uh, an an unargued sense, in my mind, bringing it to the forefront, allowing it to stand all by itself. So it's a sin. Then the scriptures, point number two, they show us why worry is a sin. And the text I want to look at for just a minute is Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So, you see that commandment addressed to the will. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, And why are you anxious about clothing? We are, aren't we? Just the right brand, the right logo, the right... Consider the lilies of the field, 28, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field... Which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you? There it is now. O oh, you of little faith. Little faith. Anxious, 25. Little faith, 30. 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles, the pagans seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow it 's interesting that, after going through that whole long list, when he summarizes you know what you 're going to eat, what you 're going to wear. Um, all of that stuff, when he summarizes, this is Jesus, he says, so don't be anxious about, and here it is, tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Worry, essentially, is defined in terms of who rules your life. And I want to tell you where I get that. You'll notice the first three words of verse 25, the text we read, therefore I tell you, therefore, therefore I tell you. And those words set up the entire teaching. And what they do is they look back. Therefore looks back to verse 24. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, Either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And we're meant to see the connection. We're meant to see the connection. Worry comes from uh, linking my life up with with the wrong master. Whatever, Whatever confession my lips make... Whatever I I sing or say in church and however high I raise my hands, my heart will reveal my true master. My heart will be revealed by the things I worry about. In other words, the outward fruit of worry reveals the inward root. Fruit, root. The outward fruit of worry reveals the inward root of my heart's attention. What, 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 is, what is my inward self occupied with? That's what worry reveals. Look at some of the causes in these verses. A. I'll be filled with worry if I place the material above the spiritual. That's in 25, 26, and 31. Do not be anxious about your life It talks about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. 31, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? The, The material stuff of life. Now, none of us admits to putting the material above the spiritual. None of us admits it because we know we're not supposed to. We know it wouldn't be acceptable. But Jesus seems to be saying, the real test isn't my confession. The real test is more practical. If you couldn't make a nickel next week, or you couldn't read God's word next week, Which would you miss more? Do spiritual losses upset you as much as material ones? Do you feel worse when you can't go to church or when your investments start to tank? I know that's a hard question. It's easy to make it seem ridiculous. In fact, it's easy just to write off questions like that. But questions like that have to at least get some consideration. In essence, they will reveal the master of my life. If I make material gain my master, Jesus is saying my life will undeniably, uncontrollably be filled with worry. There is simply no way around it. I'll be filled with worry when I place the material above the spiritual. B. I will be filled with worry if I focus my life on the wrong day. 34 of Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious about itself. It's going to get here. It's going to have its own stuff. And that's the time to face it. Sufficient for the day, that's now, is its own trouble. You weren't designed to carry more than today's troubles. This is Jesus speaking. I know that seems obvious, but what it means is he is never wrong. Jesus is never wrong in his diagnosis. Never. He says, worry is frequently caused by trying to carry tomorrow's burden with today's strength. And he says, we all have a tendency to attempt it. And he says, it's, it's sinful. To... To try. Why? Why is it sinful? Maybe it's foolish. Maybe it, 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 it can wear us down. But why is it morally, why is it sinful? Well, it's sinful because it trashes one of God's most precious gifts. It trashes the gift of the passing of life into our hands in daily segments. What a precious gift that is. It was God's idea to divide each 24-hour period into day and night. He set the sun and the moon in the heavens. Time is not just the result of random events. God has designed sequence right into the fabric of his creation for a reason. Living in today is one way of recognizing the preciousness of life. You only have today. I'm, already, I'm making plans. Rini and I are going to go away for a week. And we sit and we talk about it like we're sure it's going to happen. And the truth is, we don't have tomorrow. Not one of us has tomorrow, not yet. We may never get it. To grasp for tomorrow now not only ignores the precious gift from God's hand of today, but it is also the height of arrogance, the height of presumption. It, it, makes, it puts sovereignty in my lap instead of in God's hand. That's the sin of it. Do you remember how James addressed the subject? We'll get there on Sunday mornings, you know, in 2027 or something. James 4:13 to 16. Come now, you who say. Come now doesn't mean come with me. It means come on. Get real. That's what it means. Come now. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make profit. You don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. Dawn, what is your life? Let me tell you. You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You drive early in the morning. It's pretty, isn't it? Go by the highway and there's maybe a a low spot, a valley, and it's real early in the morning before the sun gets up and burns it off and it's just white haze in the valley. But if it's August or July, you come back at 3 in the afternoon. Where did it go? It's just gone. Nobody heard it. Nobody saw it. Nobody thought of it. It's just gone. James says, Don, that's you. That's you. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that, as it is What is it when you start planning into tomorrow and taking on tomorrow for worry material for today? He says, you boast in your arrogance. You arrogant little vapor. All such boasting is foolish? No, evil. Evil. So, again, remember where we are in our study. I said the first step is accepting the the biblical diagnosis that worry is a sin, not just a weakness, it's a sin. It's a form of unbelief. It's a sin because it's usually geared to the future, the material, first of all, and the future. And the future isn't yours yet. The future belongs to God. You and I have no right to try and grab it out of his hands. Our lives are designed to carry today's burdens, not tomorrow's. So, Worry comes from focusing our lives on the material over the spiritual. It comes from living in tomorrow rather than today. It's not a sin, by the way, to plan. It's not a sin to think and to prepare for tomorrow. The Bible holds the ant up as an example, storing up things. But worry overreaches. Worry enters into tomorrow like it's already today's possession. When James says, instead you ought to say if the Lord wills, he doesn't mean, you know, you can turn it into something ridiculous. Lord willing, we're going to go out for pizza after church tonight. You don't don't have to, it's not a formula, it's not a slogan, it's a consciousness. That's what he's talking about. A mindset that, that all of our days unfold, they're like Kleenex out of the box. You go through one before you get to the next one. That's how your days come, from God. The material, tomorrow. The third thing, my life will be filled with worry if I fail to accept the things I cannot change. Matthew 6 27, the words of Jesus again. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Another one, add a cubit to your height, 18 inches. This, this is such an accurate picture of worry. It's, it's sinful because it's useless. It squanders God-given strength and resources. God gave you strength and resources to do His will today, and that strength shouldn't be used up on things you can't change about the future. Worry is a sin because it, it throws away energy For today's opportunities. That's the sin of worry. It wastes the gas in the tank. Without going anywhere. We can miss the things we can do today by worrying about the things we can't do anything about. That's the whole point of verse 34. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day. You have enough to do today. There are battles to be fought today. There's progress of soul to be won today. There are people in need to be helped today. There is heaven to be pursued today. How foolish, given all of the eternal issues, to be pondered and settled and sorted out and labored for every day to sit in a chair and plan how I can make my body one cubit taller. Are you kidding me, Jesus is saying? I knew a guy that went to one of those faith healers, you know, that slap you in the chair and they bang your heels together and they usually tell you one leg is a quarter of an inch longer than the other and they're going to lengthen it. I had a buddy in Bible school that went and they pushed him in a chair and they banged his heels together and said, what would you like me to do? And he said, I'd like them both about eight inches longer. I'm too short. And it it didn't work. Such, Jesus says, are the common ingredients of worry. The list isn't exhaustive. The material over the spiritual, tomorrow over today, things you can't do anything about replacing things that need to be done today. So, finally, what, what do we do when worry comes? You can't switch it off. It must be displaced with the scriptural response to present needs. Have you ever had that happen where you're, you're deeply concerned and at rest about something and... and Some well-meaning person, they're not trying to be mean. They come up to you and they put their arm around you and they say, don't worry about it. Like, does that help? My experience is it doesn't very much. If you felt you could simply choose not to worry, if you could just throw a switch, you would. But that's precisely the problem. Worry, the kind of stuff that keeps you up at night... It feels uncontrollable. Worry always feels uncontrollable. Always. But let's look at it carefully. The Greek word for worry, by the way, literally means to rip or to tear apart. Just hold that in your mind just for a second. To rip or tear apart. Think about that for a minute. You can see the truth of that definition in the things we just looked at. Those three issues. The pursuit of the material over the spiritual. Jesus says, two masters, two kingdoms. My soul was made to only be satisfied truly with God himself. But as I try to fill my life up and secure it with material things, I know I can't keep those things for long anyway. They're such slippery things. Moths eat them away. Rust comes. Thieves come, Jesus says. And so I feel my life being torn between these two masters. Worry torn or ripped apart. Do you see it? The attempt to carry tomorrow's burdens today. So this uses, uses up strength for today's service and tasks on an imaginary tomorrow that may never get here. My life's a blur somehow. I'm torn in two directions. The attempt to change things that can't be changed Nothing is more certain to fill me with despair and a feeling of uselessness than spending a precious, God-given, unrepeatable day. This day is almost done. You know something about today? Midnight will come and if we're all still here, you you never get this day back. It It is absolutely gone forever. Never, ever, ever to return. And so to take that precious, precious gift of a day and use the strength that God gave me to fill that up with pleasurable service for Him on things that can't be changed, like trying to think yourself taller. It will sap time and energy and strength from the things I must be to be fruitful, the resources of my life. See, split, torn in two directions. What are the solutions? Recognize the sinful nature of worry. I talked about it. There will be no progress while I justify it. I need to recognize, confess, repent of it. It's not negative, this step. It is scriptural, and it brings healing, and it brings wholeness. Secondly, fill your life with prayer and the Word of God. Remember where worry comes from. Our lives need something to reorient them away from the material concerns of this age. Philippians 4, 6-9, do not be anxious about anything. Okay? So that's the don't worry, but it doesn't stop there. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. Three, focus your energies on present responsibilities. It's not wrong to think about the future. What is sinful is to worry so much about the future that you fail to take care of the things today that will prepare your life for tomorrow. Worry is is legitimate concern gone sour. Focus on present responsibilities. D, focus your energies on things you can do something about. If you can't change it, pray about it, leave it with God. If you can change it, Set yourself to work at what you can do today, right now. And lastly, maybe most importantly, keep active in serving the body of Christ in ministry, regardless of how busy you think you are with other things. Let me just give you an observation, just my humble observation. On the whole, this church is a bit of an exception, but on the whole, people are evangelical Christians are going to church less and less. For many people, many people in this church, but for many, many people in the body of Christ, Sunday morning consists of that hour and 20 minutes in church, and they are done for the week. Morning worship, no Christian ed, no Sunday night, no midweek, no involvement in anything in the church. They come Sunday morning, and they're done. And what I'm noticing is, you can take this for what it's worth. This is an age where people talk about being stressed out more than they ever did when I was a kid. Let me tell you where I think stress comes from. Stress comes from, like we studied tonight, the, 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 over-commitment to the material, present, physical, visible realm to the exclusion of the intake of the things of the Spirit and serving in the body of Christ. The first thing people will eliminate when they get busy is a church service, something in the church. And what happens is, what happens is the very thing that would help reorient their souls, that would help them to think about things that are true and lovely and Christ-like. Those are the things they delete and they're wondering why life is starting to feel tattered and ragged around the edges. If you want to do something to rid your life of worry I don't know if anybody else is going to tell you this. You want to help rid your life of worry? Teach a Sunday school class. You want to help rid your life of worry? Help with the youth group. You want to help rid your life of worry? I am dead serious. Help clean up after the Wednesday night suppers. You will find... Something of serving Jesus creeping into your heart. And as you seek his kingdom first, somebody said this once, fairly famous person, that if you'll seek his kingdom first, do you know what he would do? He would add everything else to you. But he was probably just kidding around. What do you think? Pray together.